0: Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have uh, given us this day where we can come before you and uh, rest in you, Lord, in, in a special way with the, uh, the congregation, uh, the body of Christ. Lord, I uh, pray that you would uh, bless this time, that you would um, help us to uh, consider your word carefully and to uh, learn from it, and that your Holy Spirit will be at work today uh, in us. pray all this in your name. Amen. Alright, so, I was thinking I was, oh, if you haven't gotten the handout, there's some handouts over there, first of all, Um, but I was thinking I'll just kind of somewhat semi-model it on what Jacob was doing. I'm not Jacob, so it's not going to be the same exactly, though, uh, and not nearly as well done. But, uh, so I'll go ahead and read through the chapters. Uh, I'll lead to Luke 15 first. And uh, if I get tired, I might ask some of you to read some also. Uh, So Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them? Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, so... Um, I just have some grammar questions here that we can go through quickly. Uh, Basically, um, you're just going to be looking at the text to kind of... uh, These are questions that you can just answer pretty much straight from the text. Um, So what was the Pharisee's complaint about Jesus? That
1: he was eating with sinners.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, what... Uh, next question, uh, what does Jesus say is the response in heaven after the two parables in verses 4 to 6 and 8 to 9? angels rejoice. angels rejoice. Yeah. Okay. What did the younger son do after receiving his inheritance? If you want, you can elaborate on that, too.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. So what caused the younger son to return to his father? He realized
3: that... Uh, that uh, even his servants of his father lived better than what he was living at that point in time. He'd hit such a, a low in his life.
1: Yeah.
0: He's wanting even the uh, pods that the pigs ate. Yeah. Mm. What was the father's response? Welcome.
1: Celebrated
0: his return. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll celebrate his return. Return with. Uh, his neighbors with the with everyone and killed the fattened calf. Right? And what was the older son's response?
1: Jealousy. Sorry, what?
0: Was it? Jealousy. Jealousy, yeah. Jealousy. This you've not done nothing for me, but you've given this son of yours the fattened calf. Yeah, let me give me a go. All right. So that's just kind of. And I, and there are more questions that could have been asked there, but um, that's just kind of going over some of the basics. So, uh, going back to uh, the first couple of parables here, why why do you think why w- why would there be more rejoicing over in heaven over one sinner who repented than 99 righteous who needed no repentance? That seems a little counterintuitive in some ways. Jesus'
4: parables seem to be saying that <coughs> the, the the righteous are, are already his, and sure. so uh, you rejoice over the lost bit, not the bit that you've, you've got well, already. You already have, yeah.
0: Anyone else want to...
3: Exactly, well, I, I think, too, um, you know, part of it is, is that God is building his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as as people come into that, it just shows that God's work is being done and the angels are rejoicing, I think, that God is being glorified in that sort of, you know, yeah. what, what Casey said. So, uh, I was, I was uh, say,
0: oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was,
2: was going to say, I mean... In one sense, it, it magnifies God's glory more in yes. His mercy towards sinners. Because, um, I mean, you know, we, we praise God that He does good to the righteous who do not fall. I mean, yes. speaking, I guess, specifically of angels in that case, no, no humans fall into that category. Yes, that but, is true. Um, you know, and, and He is good to His, to his angels. Um, But uh, when you have someone who has rebelled against God, and in God's mercy, he has saved them, then that's just like, wow, God is great. He doesn't just do good to those who obediently serve him at all times, but he even does good to those who have rebelled against him. Yes, who have run away, who are lost. And I'm sure that... All of the angels in heaven are
0: just like, <laughs> they're by that as well. Yes, as it says in the after the second parable there, there's there's joy even among the angels. Um, so Pastor uh, Frank's only uh, we'll a couple of uh, commentaries for this. And uh, as, as far as like, um, by the way, you're, I think you're all right as far as, yeah, it magnifies God's glory and shows his grace and mercy. Someone's repented; they come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was thinking kind of with the ninety-nine righteous, also that um, it was yeah, either like a hypothetical ninety-nine righteous or yeah the angels make sense to some of the commentaries I was reading though through were saying though that they thought it was more of a he's not actually speaking of the righteous here because he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's these are the self-righteous per se that um, and so yeah, there is ultimately there is no joy in heaven for them because um, they aren't part of the kingdom. Um, and But they think, oh yes, God should be rejoicing over me. Like, I'm something special. He has me. But no. Uh, there's more joy over the sinner. And if you remember the beginning of the chapter, he's, the sinners are drawing near to God. But the sinners who repent draw near to God. Is more joyful for that than over these uh, Pharisees. I have a question
4: about that. Sure. So, um, I mean, the way that first verse—now uh, the tax collectors and sinners are all drawing you to him, uh, to hear him. Yes. Um, you know, we, we believe that all men are sinners. Yes. And so, what's the distinction? Because there obviously is some sort of distinction. Yes. There are sinners and then there's people who like,
3: aren't sinners? Or, yeah. Well, I, I think mean, that goes back to what Ben was just saying, that I, Luke is probably coming at it from the perspective of how the
0: Pharisees viewed themselves that okay. that they were separate from the sinners, yes. These were righteous. These are people that were openly disobeying the law, of, had openly disobeyed the law of God somehow in their lives, or at least mm. how the Pharisees saw it. Yeah. And I mean, the tax collectors—sure, you know—and I mean, they're hated among Jewish society because they stole from their own people to get to the Romans and padded yeah. their own uh, pockets in the meantime. But yeah, these were people that, in some way or another, were looked down on Jewish society, and, um, and for right—and for good reason, right? I mean, they, the tax collectors were thieves, as John the Baptist was telling them. Don't only take what you need, right? At the beginning of Luke. Um, but uh, instead, of, instead of reaching out to them in love and grace, uh, calling them to repentance, the Pharisees just look down upon them and cry. And, and it seems
3: like, you know, at the first couple of verses, that Jesus is, you know, speaking primarily to the religious leaders, mm-hmm. you know, which I think helps us in terms of interpreting some of these nuances, yeah. you know, in the different parables and stuff like that. You know, just like with the the whole righteous. Yes. Yes. Doesn't it kind of go along with what Jesus said? He talked to them and he said that I
1: called the I came to heal the sick. You know, the ones who don't need a doctor didn't come for it because there is the self-righteous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The ones who know they they need a doctor. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think we've. We talked about that question. Any other thoughts before I move on to the next question? All right, so consider what the uh, prodigal son's actions of verses 11 through 17 would have meant in Jewish society. Um, and then compare the father's rejoicing of his return to the shepherds and women's rejoicing of his previous parables. And you can compare and contrast. But first of all, if we want to go through that first sentence, so what, what would have all those actions meant to... Uh, the
1: Jewish
0: people. Well, um, it, it technically wasn't a question; it was a statement. Okay. <laughs> I guess it was a command, technically grammatically. So, uh, what? So here's here's here is an, in the in the as a question: What would have the prodigal son's actions in verses 11 through 17 meant in a J- Jewish society? And 11 through 17. That starts with uh, him asking for his father's inheritance, all the way to him wanting to eat the pods that yeah. the pigs were eating.
2: Well, I, I haven't like studied this myself, but I have heard teaching on this that mm-hmm. basically what he's saying to his father is, "I wish you were dead. I, I want yeah. the inheritance now, and I'll wait
0: till you die." I because inheritance is something you get later yeah. in life, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So that's the inheritance part. So what about anything else? Places? We also left
4: for a foreign country. Too. Foreign country. Yeah.
0: country, yeah. Far country. Um, we just went through Ruth recently, right? Uh, Naomi and um, uh, her husband, I can't remember his name, they, they went to a far country. And by doing that, they removed themselves from, uh, they in fact, in a way, they were running away from God to a certain extent and his blessings. Um, he was going to the heathen countries and the heathen gods. Heathen gods. Um, yeah. Well you think about it? In one sense,
3: they're forsaking their inheritance when yes. they leave because the promised land was, yes. you know, part of the inheritance that the Israelites had. But he's got his inheritance, right? right?
0: Exactly. That's what he's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so what else does he do? What would that mean? He's reduced to caring for the pigs, which were the unclean animals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you want, you can look up Le- Leviticus 11, uh, verse. I mean, it's, it talks about a lot of the unclean animals, but verses seven through eight, and they talk about pigs specifically. Um, but yeah, they weren't allowed to eat them if they touched their carcasses at all. Um, they were unclean until the evening. Uh, yeah, just not a good situation to be in as far as a, Jewish, a Jew would have been. Sorry, so any answers on this side of the room? Yeah, and he also uh, squandered his wealth right, he did a loose, loose living. Um, he was not uh, necessarily giving money to the poor or anything like that, probably, probably buying friends if anything. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they don't really get particulars there, but yeah, it's definitely not uh, following the law of God as far as how he's supposed to use his money. Yeah, but his, the older brother,
3: doesn't he mentioned here you've given this, uh, one who's one yes. of prostitutes. Absolutely. You know, so, e- even in this uh, restless or living or... Uh, uh, Whatever word you want to use for that, yes. you know there was definite sin against God in yes. falls in that lifestyle as well. So,
0: so he's done all this, and yet the Father rejoices when he comes back. So, um, if you would, uh, what are the similarities? What are the differences between his rejoicing? And uh, the shepherds rejoicing and the woman's rejoicing over their return of the sheep and the coin, respectively.
2: Obviously, there's lots of similarities. I mean,
1: this
2: this father, he he still has a son. Yes. And, you know, and he's, you know, he he still loves his son but you know he's not throwing a feast because he had that son no <laughs> it's it's the one who was lost yes. that comes back and that's what yes. causes him to, to throw a party absolutely the, the same way as i you know, got my lost sheep i got my lost goat
0: yeah in a way um, you could say that the previous parables even though this is a metaphor, so but you can way you could say the previous parables are a metaphor for this parable, even where this is like a real kind of an example, still metaphorical, uh, of uh, what it's like for a come back, um, because this is someone who's pretty much spat in the face of his father, spat in the face of God. Um, it's someone who. Completely sunk to the bottom of society, and yet still his father receives him. Um, that coin didn't do that to the woman; she didn't hurt. You could maybe make an argument for the sheep running off, but still, it's a dumb creature. <laughs> but this man completely alienated himself, and yet still the father rejoices when he comes back, and that's. um and that is uh, what the Father's love is for us, um, as Jesus is saying in this parable. <sighs> yeah. But, it's a glorious parable. That we think. What is the significance to the ending, though, of the parable? Because it doesn't just end with the Father rejoicing.
3: I think that's the real point of the parable. Actually, you know, we sort of focus on the son, the younger son, and the father, and all that. But in in the context, it seems like this is the real focus that Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, who are like, you know, I'm with sinners, and rather than rejoicing that they're coming to hear Jesus and the tax collectors being around Jesus and giving attention to His word, you know, they're judging just like the older brother judged the younger brother, and. Was really, I'd say, very upset over the graciousness of the Father uh, towards the sinners and stuff. Yes.
0: Um, And it's it's his brother too, right? He's he's just completely he's begrudging him uh, his return. Um, He won't even. Column is brother. Yes, it's <laughs> a son of yours. Yes. Yeah, no, the father has to remind him, no, this is this is your brother we're talking about. Can't can't get away from that just because he ran away to a far country. Uh, like how Adam said this woman that you <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that is an excellent point. <laughs>
4: Arm's length. <laughs> I
0: have nothing to do with this. Yeah. No, um I wish I would thought of this earlier, I kind of looked it up, but, uh, you know, um, in the promised land, uh, the Levites did not have an inheritance because, in a sense, God was an inheritance. And now we are all priests of God, and we all have God as our inheritance. And, in a way, um, in this parable, too. Like, they're thinking that they've got this inheritance that's coming to them. Both of them were thinking that. The older son was just a little bit more patient. They're just focusing on this money, and yet the father's love, was. That's, that's what really matters in the end. And uh, he's in his ingratitude and in his self-righteousness and selfishness, he's completely lost sight of that. Um, the fact that he has his father. Um, and his father has him, and that's really what matters in the end—the uh, father's love uh, and loving him in return. No, I, I almost did uh, one of the um, rhetoric questions here, where I was like, "But you know, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. I've heard some people say it should be called the parable of the prodigal father, with a different definition of prodigal." For the record. Um and some caught say, and I kind of agree with this, that it should be called the parable of the elder son. Like I was gonna like have people debate it. But if you want to give your thoughts real quick on that, you kind of already had <laughs> anyone else uh that that would be fine. But uh, otherwise we'll probably or anything else in chapter fifteen, otherwise we'll probably move on to chapter sixteen at this point.
4: I just think it's valuable to acknowledge that any one of those titles probably, you know, are appropriate or Yeah, in a, in a, in a it's way. A, it's important to focus in on all the characters and not just yes. the prodigal son.
0: Yeah. You, can't, you can't... This story doesn't make sense without the prodigal son running away, or the father's lavish love towards him, or the elder son in his ingratitude, uh, in his self-righteousness.
4: I don't know if this is particularly relevant to your last question, um, I just think it's interesting, especially considering some of the passages where Jesus isn't particularly, or he's particularly harsh to the Pharisees, that in this parable, know, taking that the Pharisees uh, represent, or that the older the elder brother represents the Pharisees, represents the Pharisees that um, there's nothing here that's particularly, uh, no. you know, bad about yeah, the Pharisees, that's, that's, you know, it's right. just the father explaining, in love, saying, um, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. So, you know, it's not saying, shame on you for being, no, sounds righteous. It's it's a it's
0: a plea to welcome the sinners into their number and to realize the love of the Father that is there. Um, though in some ways, even though there is underneath all this a warning, um, and we're going to get more blatant with that as we go into chapter sixteen. Um, in a sense. There's also a plea to the Pharisees to repent. right. anything else? we'll move into chapter 16 now. So, same format. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, Excuse me. What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in the very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in the very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. All right, so going through the grammar questions real quick. What does the dishonest manager do after the management is taken from him? He
1: goes to the master's debtors and has them change their bills to
0: make him look better. Yeah, that's a fair... Well, okay, so what is his reason for doing this? So he might be accepted into other people's houses and not have to beg. Yeah, he's too proud to beg. And uh, what does it say? Um, I'm not strong enough to dig. Yeah, he's kind of uh, kind of uncomfortable with his uh, cushy job, whatever his duties were. So uh, what is the rich man's response to what the manager has done? Yeah, Vincent. All right, uh, moving on from that parable. What does Jesus say about serving two masters?
3: You can't really do that. You can yeah. serve one. Yep. And not the other. Yeah, that's right.
0: What is the Pharisees' response to all of this?
1: They mock
0: him. They mock him. Ridicule him. Yeah. There's a looked at a few different translations. Deride came up. Ridicule, mock. Yeah. What does Jesus say is happening with the kingdom of God? Uh, what does Jesus say is happening with the kingdom of God? And it's worded a little oddly, sorry. Basically what does he say about the kingdom of God in here? Forcing
1: their way into it. Yeah.
0: And uh, the gospel, the kingdom of God is preached since John and uh, everyone forces his way into it. Yeah. So what was Lazarus' condition in life? Beggar. Yeah. Yeah. He had sores and yeah. Pretty miserable life. What is the rich man and sorry this is he asked him several things. I was really thinking the first one, but what does the rich man ask Abraham first? Sober, so that he might cool my tongue with a drop of water. Okay. Dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. And what is Abraham's response to the, this request?
1: It's impossible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he s- tells him to remember his previous life, and they see the difference, and realize also that uh, it's impossible now all right um so moving on to the logic questions why does jesus seem to commend uh, the dishonest manager and i will say real quick that when i i've always had a difficult time with this parable and i've never really understood it i think studying it this week has helped, the commentaries have helped a lot, but, but yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a confusing thing, right? Why, why would Jesus commend a dishonest man? Alright, let me ask this then since I of everyone's thinking. I did phrase it why is he, Jesus seem to commend the dishonest manager? Is he act- do you think he is actually commending him? Yes or no? This is a little bit easier to answer. You got a fifty percent chance of being wrong or right. It seems
1: tricky, so
0: I'm assuming he's not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a little leading.
0: <laughs> well actually I, I think here he probably is commending him. So sorry, it is tricky. Yeah. Um that you were brave. <laughs> yes, I, I, co- I commend you for that. I commend you for your bravery. Uh, so the master definitely commends the dishonest manager. Uh, but that's the master in the story. And then it goes on from there it says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends by yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Um... So that when it fails, they may receive into their eternal dwelling. So, I mean, there does seem to be something where Jesus is saying, the sons of the world are more shrewd, so he seems to be commending them in a way. They're, they're more shrewd in dealing with their uh, own generation than the sons of light. In what way would he be commending their shrewdness, maybe? And this is where, actually, the, the grammar question will, will help you. Um, so if, uh, question two, my, my second question in, in, in there was, what was the manager's reasoning? Why, why did he go out and do that? Just settle the debts and everything like that. And uh, you answered the question earlier. Do you remember what you said, Timothy?
1: Just that he would be able to go into other people's houses and be accepted. Yeah. And not have shame brought upon him because he wouldn't be good at anything else.
0: So, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he's being shrewd in planning for the future and planning for his next dwelling, his that position. That yeah. And the master commends him for his shrewdness. So he's thinking in advance. He's thinking in advance. I'm yeah, I'm a little confused
4: sure. as to just, I mean, what's happening. So, yes, he was a manager
0: yes. of a rich
4: man. He lost his job.
0: Yes, but, well, he's at least been given notice. <laughs> You're about ready to lose your job, and maybe he technically has, but no one else knows it yet. We don't really. No, but at least these other people think that he's still qualified to uh, handle the master's debts, whether he is or not.
4: Okay. But yeah. I mean, is he, I mean, is he still collecting these debts even though he's not collecting as much as they owed?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the mas- he, the, it doesn't appear in this parable that he's stealing from the master. That was not his reason for doing it necessarily. Um, he was making friends so they would receive him. Um, and the master doesn't seem to be accusing him for stealing, so the money at least seems to be going to the manager, to, to the master, the owner. Um, but yeah, he is—he's uh, shortchanging him. He's so uh, settling his debts. Yes. Just reading in my notes,
2: I think um, the Jews were forbidden to do uh, usury or uh, rate of interest, mm-hmm. and what they often do is overcharge. And so, by the manager reducing
4: the bill, he's basically just removing the overcharge.
0: That, that could very well be. And again, there's a lot of details in here that aren't exactly stated. But uh, but yeah, when you look at when you look at what Jesus is saying here, what the Master commends him for is his shrewdness. And what Jesus and then Jesus says, "For the sons of the world are more shrewd." dealing with their own generation and the sons of light. And then he says, and I, tell, and I tell you, make friends of yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Uh, and then he goes on from there and especially in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So my understanding is, and you all can kind of discuss this a little bit and everything, but is that this man was shrewd in realizing he doesn't have a home to go to tomorrow. and He's got no way to provide it for himself. And so he's, he's realizing he's got to throw all caution to the wind and seek, by whatever means necessary, to find a home that he can enter into. And Jesus is saying, in some ways he's saying things more clearly. Now, forget the methods. They're wrong in some ways. But forget the methods. But he's realizing what's at stake here. Um, What's at stake here is your eternal home, your eternal dwelling. Uh, And you need to realize that this money that you're holding onto, that you're loving in a way, as as he kind of goes on there, talks about... You um, can't serve God in money, it is, and, and the things of this world. If you love them more than me, they're only holding you back. You're not. You've got to put aside the things of this world, in a sense, and pursue God with everything you have, in order to enter into the kingdom, or to enter into your temple. That's my understanding of it. Thoughts, anyone? Does anyone think I'm saying heresy? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Does anyone disagree? Because it is... I'm, I don't think there's another interpretation. Because there are people who think there are different interpretations. So. You were... It's definitely a counterintuitive parable. Like, whatever interpretation you take, it's not one that, like, what Jesus normally tells. Whatever. Well, I think
3: yeah. part of it is, is it's supposed, it's intended to be offensive. Yes. You know, it's says really to, to strike home. And there's this, you know, just reading through John. Mm-hmm. um and stuff and, and family worship and stuff, there are just things that Jesus comes out and says to the religious leaders that you're like, Ooh, ouch, that hurts. Yes. You know, and stuff. And and this just seems to be one of those parables that really is that to, to hit home to almost like you're making the bad guy the good guy and you know, to make a point. Yes. You know, but it's not just to be a, offensive. Yeah. It's not just to be offensive, but it's really just to shake us, you know, out of our uh, comfort zone I mean, really yeah. yeah.
0: So, any other, any other thoughts with that? And I can, I can tell you that when I first heard this, I was like, ah, that doesn't sound right. So, if you disagree with me, I understand. <laughs> um, is I agree I with mean, you. It's it's something that's it's it's meant to kind of hit home. It's not it's supposed to get us thinking to realize like the, and and to say, "Wait. Jesus really really is serious about this." All right. Um sorry. No, go on. Uh I'm just reading the,
4: like, a Wikipedia article. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, uh, interesting, uh, William Tyndale um, also pointed out that the steward was not praised by Jesus for his conduct, but merely provided as an example of wisdom and diligence, so that we with righteousness should be as diligent to provide for our souls as he with unrighteousness provided for his body
0: that's very well said yeah Way better than I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. if you're going to believe that yes <laughs> yes yeah so um, yeah no it, sorry I, I will also win one more thing because it, it is something where you know people in this world will they can they are more shrewd sometimes they, they worry about tomorrow and because of that they, they really seek to work hard to provide for tomorrow I work with people that they will work m- I work with one person who works two jobs and then owns several houses that she's renting out partially because she enjoys it but partially because she just loves money and she's seeking to provide for her future and she has one day off a week which is not Sunday um, that uh, she gets to see that where, where she spends time with her husband and I think that's like all of her appointments and everything and that's that's just her life because she's pursuing that goal with her whole heart and um, again disagree with the means and and all that but that's what we should be doing in a sense like why are we do we really care that much about the state of our souls and um, are we working out our salvation? And in going along with that, and I kind of already answered this in some ways, maybe. But what do you think Jesus means when he says everyone is forcing their way into the kingdom of God? And what bearing, if any, does the previous parable have on this day? And if you're not sure, you can just throw out an answer. Yeah. If you think it's too easy of a question, go ahead and, go ahead and throw out an Either way. Does anyone have an idea at all, or are they just completely confused by it, or...? So uh, basically, um, so it says the law and the prophets were until Johnson son, the good news of the kingdom of God. Is preached everyone forces his way into it. This is uh, this is first off, this is not promoting a works righteousness, salvation. I'll say that, and neither is the previous parable, for what it's worth. Um, But it is saying um, in a way that to enter into the kingdom of God, you're going against your own sinful flesh. You're going against the devil. You're going against the world. Um, You're striving to... um, Luke 13, 24, Jesus says, strive to enter by the narrow door. Um, Work hard to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, This is not something... That uh, comes easily, comes naturally. Um, uh, Some of the commentators I was reading uh, mentioned uh, Luke uh, 5, 18 through 19, as kind of examples of this. Uh, That's where the, if you want to look up the can, but that's uh, where the friends bring the paralytic to Jesus. Um, and they're doing everything they can to bring him to Jesus because he needs him. And he says, he looks at the, and Jesus sees the faith of, of these friends and he says, Son's your, son, your sins are forgiven. Right. Um, and then also the woman who, I think she had a discharge or something like that. And she forced her way through the crowd just to touch Jesus's, just to touch Jesus and Jesus says I feel that like power has come from me. Someone, someone touched me um, entering into the kingdom of God is it, it is a transfer of citizenship and not in the easy way not in a gentle way it's a violent thing in fact, if you look in the King James version it has an interesting way of putting this um, uh, it's it's uh, Says something about like the violent, getting going to the kingdom of God and they take it by force. Um, and that's what it's like living here on earth. Is uh, we the world is against us, our own sinful flesh is against us. But yet God is gracious to us, and works in us, um, and out of that we work to enter in, not in a not in a works righteousness way. Though. All right. Um, I only got a few minutes left. I'll try and I'll skip over those questions. We'll we'll skip down real quick to Lazarus. We might come back to the rest real quick, but uh, so why why do you think so? Going to the parable of Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. Why do you think this is just kind of a Basic question. Why did Jesus include the fact that the dogs look Lazarus wounds? Why why do you think that glory of pain
1: the the rich man's dogs were telling something to be pitied? Yeah. The rich
0: man. They, they were, no, you're right. Yeah, they were they were taking care of him. They were showing pity on him. These, ri- these dogs that belong to the rich man, they, they even could take pity on him, but the rich man couldn't. Uh, this is someone was absorbed with self. He wore a purple, uh, what does it say? He was clothed in purple and fine linen, which was royalty basically, only wore that. He feasted sumptuously every day. He was living for himself and, uh, and at his own gate, there was someone that his own dogs took pity on, but he couldn't lift a finger to help. No, and uh, I think it's interesting that uh, their situations are just so reversed here later. And he's, he's like, well, send Lazarus to me. Like, he could, obviously, he's like, I don't know. Obviously, he can come down to here and, and help me. He he had a pretty hard life. Very so, good. But... Yeah. Um, what do you. Okay, uh, Luke 3:8. If someone wants to look that up and read that real quick. So in verse 24, it says: it says And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, to dip the end of his finger in water and comb my tongue, prime anguish in this flame. So what does Luke 3:8 say? Um, therefore bear fruits and keep your repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves,
2: "We have Abraham for our father." For I say to you that from these stones God is able to
0: raise up children. To Abraham. So what, rela- what, what relation, if any, do you think there is between these verses? For help. And what, what, what did he call him exactly? Father. Father Abraham. Which he was. His ancestor. But
1: um,
0: it's not enough for him to get pity. But he was... Uh, it seems like he was counting on that. Like the Pharisees. We have Abraham as our father. But uh, that's not good enough to enter in. He has to be your spiritual father. Um, and uh, yeah, and he, it's a it's a striking warning to uh, those the the Pharisees who love money and thought, oh yes, I can serve God and serve money. Here's this rich man who's loving money, and he has Abraham as his father, but that's not enough. That is not enough at all. So, I'm just going to, I'll just uh, kind of sum up, try and sum up everything here. So, for, for chapter 16. So, basically in chapter 16, you have a couple of parables, which are a little bit different. Um, and you, in between you have the Pharisees mocking him, which, uh, if you look at, Question for a, it's it's they they are the ones sitting in the seat of scoffers there as it says in Psalm one it's uh, something that uh, they would not have dreamed that they would ever be that person and uh, talking about the law of the prophets but basically these God is telling his disciples and these Pharisees. You know, it's not good enough to be a Jew and to live for yourself. Like you, you're not keeping the law. You're not uh, you're, you're you're loving money in your heart, and you're not taking care of the poor. And if you really want to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to forsake the things of this world. And that does not mean that uh, we necessarily. Uh, get rid of all of our money in our lives, but it's, it's uh, we have to love God, we have to be willing though, should God call us to that. Um, we have to love God uh, more, he has to be our, our master. And it has to be something that, and we have to realize also that this is something that we only have a limited amount of time to do. Um, like once once you get to hell, there is no... You've passed the point of no return. Um, this is... This is it. You're, you're the, he's there for eternity. And there's no way Lazarus can even come over and relieve his pain. It's It's impossible. Um, but yet, we've been given everything we need. Uh, in the law and the prophets. So we should uh, not neglect them. And we should uh, call out to God. Um, to That he... We should repent and call out to God that He would uh, uh, show us grace and mercy. And through Christ, he has. that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Uh, as Luke 15 shows, he, he rejoices over us lavishly and kills the fat calf for us, He gives us a robe and a ring and our inheritance in Him. So, anyways, um, I'll go ahead and close in prayer, and uh, I guess we'll prepare for the service after this. Or if some of this. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have um, not left us as sinners. You have not left us as uh, uh, self-righteous, selfish people, Lord, living for ourselves. But you have called us in your Son, Jesus. Um, pray that you would help us to to always be grateful, Lord, to realize that this is not from any righteousness in us, but it was only through the righteousness of Christ that we are justified. That uh, we would realize that you set your affections upon us, not because you we are good, or you saw any good in us beforehand, or knew that we were going to be good, but Lord, you set your affections on us because of your mercy your grace. Lord, help us to strive to enter into uh, to to enter into our eternal dwelling, Lord. Um, here on earth, not to um, that that we would, as uh, we were reading in Second Peter, Lord, uh, make every effort to uh, uh, work out our to add uh, virtue to and uh, all those other things, Lord, steadfastness, brotherly affection, love. And that, uh, that your spirit would be at work in us, so, so that we can do this, Lord. And that we would hate our sin more and more and love you more and more every day. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us so much, so graciously, so beneficently, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Pray all this in the name of our older brother, Jesus Christ, our Savior.